Hello, and welcome to Station Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. My name is Justin Twyford, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and co-host, Stu Lennon. Stu, how's Cyprus today? It's very, very warm, very, very sunny. Uh, everything is good. How are things in Canada? Wow, we're cold and rainy. Both countries playing to type there. Yeah, I think the rest of uh, Canada is fine, but we kind of live in a rainforest up on the coast here, so... It's something we get used to is a lot of rain. Uh, we actually, I had to put the furnace on the heat on in the house yesterday. It was that cold. Oh dear. Oh, you don't want to be doing that. I think we're, we're over 90 degrees Fahrenheit. So it's, um, it's warm. Oh, I don't even know what to do in that heat. Just carry on. Oh boy. Carry on. Mm-hmm. Carry on and have a cold drink. Yep. So Stu, a little bit of follow-up. Uh, you did it to me again. You cost me money, my friend. Ah. I picked up a Lockby Quattro. Oh, what do you think? Lovely little thing. Yeah, good. I'm, I, I was uh, taken by your comment on that a few weeks ago and in, in your recommendation. And I looked at it online and I thought, you know, maybe I can get away with, you had said that my concern on it with the pen's been backwards and that you just put the pouch a different way. It is a lovely little pen pouch. It's much smaller than anything that I have currently. And with just four pens, it actually folds up very, very small. So I'm quite liking it. I just got it in this week and find it just to be a, a, a lovely, well-made little product. So uh, thank you for the recommendation. Uh, you're very welcome. It's one of those uh, rare beasts in that it's something that is pretty much always in my rotation. Because I have a lot of different stationary things, as you might expect. I've got a stationary store. But uh, this is always in my bag. Yeah, I liked it for a couple of reasons. One, the small size. Two, surprisingly, having a very limited amount of pens, four pens, takes away the paralysis of choice. For sure, yeah. You just pick four and you're stuck with those for the whole day. You know, that's uh, kind of a nice way to be. The one thing I would recommend is if you are using anything like I have one of my pens on my desk is my big Nakaya long cigar, which is a beautiful desk pen. There's no way that's fitting in there. Sure. It's going to stick out at the end. Uh, but for a regular size pen, it just fits beautifully. Nice, compact little pen pouch. So nicely done. Good stuff. And what about your tool of the week? Have you got something that's really helped you out this week? I went back to the book Effortless by Greg McKeon. Uh, he did the book Essentialism uh, maybe five, six years ago. Have you read that? I haven't, but on your recommendation, I've become um, a bookwormer. Is that is that the right phrase? Oh. So um, I listened to the guys discussing uh, this very book mm-hmm. this, this week. I had uh, bought uh, Effortless on pre-order for release date, uh, which meant that I got it uh, before I listened to their mm-hmm. comments on it. It's a very good book, actually. It is a refresher. It is not particularly in-depth on any of the concepts to it. And if you're listening to a podcast like this, some of it may be a little more cursory than perhaps you would like. But all of the concepts in it, it's, you know, sort of, I'm not going to do a book review, but the standard idea of simplifying your life, focusing on certain things, uh, making your life a little bit more effortless, uh, as Greg would say. It's a great little read. It's a quick read, but really a good refresher of let's look at the whole picture rather than necessarily going deep on one particular topic. So definitely gets a recommendation from me. Excellent. I will 
definitely pull it out and read it because I, I, I enjoyed the guy's review, uh, which I thought was, I, like I say, I can't say if it's fair or not because I haven't read the book. But what was refreshing for uh, the podcast world is that it wasn't just a sort of catalogue of praise. You know, there was a degree of criticism there. So I'm looking forward to pulling that one out. Because also on your recommendation, I've just finished reading Triggers. Oh, how did that go? Good. Uh, I think it's very well written. I enjoyed the style of it. I didn't find it too uh, too much of a struggle to sort of wade through. It was uh, it was written by an academic, by a, by someone with a, a lot of scientific knowledge, but written for an audience that wasn't necessarily interested in all of the the you know fine detail of the psychology, which I find sometimes in in these type of books, people try and impress you with their uh, the sort of depth and, and breadth of the knowledge they have about the science. Actually, I'm more interested in the story, in the real life examples. So I found it a really good read. Excellent. We still have to circle back to how we're going to uh, touch on our accountability for each other. Yeah, we do indeed. Yeah. I thought that was a fascinating chapter, but we will save for an episode on accountability. I think, uh, um, accountability to the return. <laughs> well, my tool of the week, hopefully. The listener can be the judge. Um, I now have proper broadband. I have fiber broadband. Ooh. <laughs> I won't tell the whole story of the installation because this will be a four-hour episode. But I was, um, you know, hardworking chap that I am. I was on the golf course very early this morning. And I got a phone call from my pet CETA engineer to say, are you at home? I said, no, but my wife is. And he said, okay, well, I'll, I'll call her. Um, to get us to switch it on because everything is now working. Cool. I thought, well, good luck with that, my friend. And when I returned home, we did in fact have fiber broadband. My wife had become a little confused with the plugging in. So we also had DSL broadband plugged into the fiber, uh, to the cable sort of modem. I don't know whether that was doing it good or harm. Um, and we had all sorts of sort of cross connections going on, but yeah, it, it took five minutes to sort it out. Nice. I'm not. Not 100% convinced yet, because I'm supposed to be getting a gig, and I'm not getting anything like that. I'm getting more like 600 down. Oh, that's so terrible. <laughs> well, it's I, I don't mind getting 600 down if I'm paying for 600 down. Ah, uh, that's true. You forget. Just I'm a Scot. <laughs> These things are important to me. And I'm getting 100 up, which I know is perfectly adequate. I just don't know if that's what I'm supposed to be getting or not. So. No, that sounds more like a DSL mm. uh, speed than... On mine, I'm pretty close to up and down. Fiber should be almost uh, identical, whereas uh, a DSL is is asynchronous. Yeah, that was my my thinking. So I will uh, I'll be investigating further, but not today for reasons that will become apparent later. <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about today? Today is a touching back on something that you said a couple of weeks ago about entrepreneurial mindset. And what I wanted to kind of talk about was corporate motivation, discussing organizations that have uh, an entrepreneurial mindset versus a more corporate mindset, or perhaps even sort of a, a nonprofit type of mindset as well, a corporate good. Um, and looking at how do we maximize our own contribution in those different environments and figuring out 
what we have to do to really uh, bring out the best in ourselves and and thrive in those types of environments. Obviously, we come from slightly different backgrounds. You're much more entrepreneurial. I've worked for multi-billion dollar large engineering companies. Uh, that has different ways of approaching business when you have different styles of stakeholders and value propositions. And that does, I think, affect sort of how we look at uh, motivation from corporate motivation, what is our leadership thinking about, what are the owners, the managers, the executives, what are they thinking, and how do you fit in, and how does productivity then become a way for you to excel in your work? Mm-hmm. Well, not much then. Ah, this will be a quick episode, won't it? Good Lord. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, I, yeah, touching back on what I just said about my morning, and I think it highlights some of the differences to which you allude. I, as you said, generally speaking, come from an entrepreneurial background. Most of my roles have been in uh, entrepreneurial positions where it's either been my company or I've been a partner in that company. Mm-hmm. Um, I have filled some corporate roles in the past, but you know, probably smaller corporate. And one of the larger companies that I've ever really done any work for, I'm working for at the moment. Mm. And the, the, the business model is pretty straightforward. So let's, for, for an American listener, okay, let, let's say you're going to sell your, your house in the States and you're going to buy a nice house in Canada. At some point, you're going to have to turn your United States dollars into Canadian dollars. Now, you can do that through your bank. And banks, you may have noticed, are quite keen on profit. And so you may not necessarily get the, the, the best rate. Or you could use an online service, you know, just a, a, a whole bunch of algorithms, which will probably give you a better rate and may well be, you know, a perfectly reputable and good company, or it may not be. So there are, there are pluses and minuses there. You'd like dealing with your bank because you know who they are, you know, mm-hmm. you've banked with them for a long time. Um, you're a little bit nervous of the online newcomers because, you know, you're essentially you're going to send them a large sum of money and hope that they send you a large sum back in a different currency. The company that I work for, it sits between and it says, okay, we are a specialist. Uh, and if you're doing large transactions of this nature, you know, man on the street, Joe Public, you're doing a, a, a currency purchase for a property transaction, we'll do it for you. We'll do the, the foreign exchange and it'll be much, much easier and better for you. And that, that gets into all sorts of areas. So you can get into currency dealing at this point. You can say, do you want to do a forward transaction where you guarantee your rate for a future date? Or do you want to do a stop loss where if the rate is working for you, you let it ride. If it's working against you, you cut the transaction and therefore cut your losses. That's where that, that phrase comes from. So mm-hmm. we do all of those types of things. And it's a reasonably corporate-sized sort of entity. So we have business development teams. I'm one of those. So uh, my job is to go and find partners in in Cyprus who are the front face, if you like, to to the uh, the customer. Then behind us, you have an onboarding team. So Justin wants to become a customer. He will speak to the onboarding team who will want to know his grandmother's inside leg 
all of his ID de- documents, how many hairs he's got on his chest, all of that stuff that you do for <laughs> compliance purposes. And once he's onboarded, he then has an account. And there will come a time when he's going to do his transaction to buy his big house in, I don't know, the Bahamas. So you want Bahamian dollars. And he will be talking to a trader and they will talk you to buy, buy, sell, sell. They will make an agreement, boom, strike a deal, done. So there's a whole process that goes on there and a customer journey. And if you like, I'm probably at the front of that customer journey. And there are all sorts of really clever people at the back of the customer journey. Now, yesterday, the IT department contacted me. That's never good, Justin. I know that already when you're in, when you're in corporate, if IT get in touch, there's a problem. Oh, yes. And what they wanted to do, um, I have a phone, uh, I have a system on my phone, which turns my mobile phone into an extension of some call center, I guess. And they wanted to test it. <laughs> so they wanted me to answer it. Why does this sound, not sound like a good idea? <laughs> they wanted me to answer it. They wanted me not to answer it. And then they wanted me to answer it and then have someone else call it. So it was all terrible. And this was all very mysterious to me. Nothing's actually happening. And then a little message comes on, on Microsoft Teams. That's great. We've got everything we, know, we need. Thanks very much. Coincidentally, today, that phone has not stopped ringing. Uh-oh. So I very gently on team said, uh, just to note, uh, my phone appears to be ringing uh, some sort of general group. So it says business development group. Really? So it's not, it's not, you know, it's not Justin calling me. It's, it's, it's the system is calling me. Is, is that supposed to be happening? Because if it is, I've missed the memo. Uh, no, nobody's told what's going on. Obviously, this is an IT department, so they haven't responded. <laughs> Flat silence. So, so I've checked in with a couple of colleagues in business. About, are you, uh, are you getting a lot? Yep, yep, yep. Um, do we know why? Well, um, I think it might be overflow. Uh, I'm not sure. So there seems to be a lot of overflow because my, my phone's ringing off the hook. Hmm, yeah. And then eventually, as the day has gone on, sort of more senior members of business development have, have surfaced on Microsoft Teams going, has somebody raised a ticket on this? Because this seems a bit crazy. And then some big senior person has come back and said, no, no, it's not an IT issue. No, 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 no. It's probably just customers. Can't get through to trading. So they're hanging up, calling again and selecting business development. To which I, I couldn't help myself just to... <laughs> I just went onto Teams. I went, what, 72 customers have done that in the last four hours? Oh. Seems unlikely, Chief. <laughs> and as we speak, I've shut down all of those things, so I've got no idea what's happening now. But it's, it's this whole sort of corporate slowness that goes on. In an entrepreneurial environment, whatever this is would have been resolved five minutes later. Oh, Yes. As it is, we are now, uh, in UK terms, we are lumbering towards a three-day weekend. So um, IT, I think, probably went home, or sorry, they're working from home, so probably turned their machines off six hours ago and don't plan to turn them on again until Wednesday. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's, it's, I can just see the whole thing rollercoasting. And it, I have to tell you, um, I, I'm like you, I don't have many, many things switched on to notify me. And this thing has got, you know, corporate overrides and stuff. So I'm like, if that phone rings one more time, 
I'm uninstalling it. <laughs> that thing is gone. Mm-hmm. Is this on your iPhone? Yeah, I put it on the iPhone eventually because I tried for, what did I try for three months, four months with a, with a dual device system, mm-hmm. you know, having a work phone and a home phone. No, 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 I can't do that. No, it's silly. Yes, but there's a reason for silliness because you can turn it off and put it in a drawer and your wife can still get a hold of you when she needs to. <laughs> yep. Well, I, again, it, it touches on what you're saying because I come from an entrepreneurial position where I can, particularly as I'm generally the boss, so I can turn back and say, look, you call me for this, you can call me for that. If you need anything else and you call me, I will come and punch you. Stop it. So I'm not used to this sort of, I mean, I'm hoping that there isn't a manager somewhere who sat down and thought, okay, call overflow. What should we do with that? I know. Let's give it a business development. Because if somebody has thought that, then they clearly need, need re-education. Because believe me, doing field sales is not great <laughs> with a phone buzzing in your, in your pocket. But I think it's just one of those great IT things where somebody has flicked a little switch somewhere not realizing that that switch is attached to seven other switches which have just automatically gone on or we're having the greatest day in the history of the company and everybody's gonna be multi-millionaire by tomorrow who knows <laughs> i'm listening to the crypto queen podcast series that you recommended uh-huh and uh you know the whole we're going to be a millionaire tomorrow uh, yep i could see it uh, have you guys gone into one coin by any chance you know in your financial switches <laughs> let's hope not <laughs> please god let's hope not anyway apart from that slight uh tangent which i just had to get off my chest more than anything else so, so thank you dear listen for letting <laughs> me get that off my chest it, it is an interesting question because i find it i i find it fascinating anyway but particularly now where i'm doing quite a lot of of mode switching between a corporate mode one of my entrepreneurial companies is very corporate mm-hmm. and the way what i'm trying to say there is it's a consultancy that works for financial services companies so uh you know it involves the wearing of ties you may have heard of the ties jackets it's it's still that sort of formal corporate type environment Ooh. even though it's a one man band yes and then i have nero's notes which is very you know very much laid back there's there's no wearing of ties at nero's and is a much uh, sort of happier, happy-go-lucky, jolly type environment. And then I have this corporate environment that I work in. And then probably my favorite environment of all, where I turn everything off and I just sit here and write things. So I'm doing a lot of mode switching at the moment, and it is it is challenging. You know, that there is a real difference to the way that I have to handle phone calls, have to deal with people, because you forget in in the entrepreneurial world you know, as Basecamp have just demonstrated, you, you forget diplomacy because, you know, very often, you know, it, it comes down to, there are three of us having a discussion and it's at the end of the, it's my call. Mm-hmm. And so I can make that call. That's it. I don't have to be too considerate of other people's feelings. That's not how decisions work in, you know, middle management structures in corporates. Well, I think there's, you know, one thing I want to kind of clarify, and I noticed that you actually had a comment about that in the show notes Mm. is that I think the approach is not necessarily because of size. Mm. No, I agree. Yeah. It is, it is a philosophical approach to running a business. If you take someone like an Amazon or a Google, Google is always spinning up 
projects and killing them off because they're just not meeting the corporate guidelines. But the fact that they're they're willing to try almost anything, throw it against the wall and see what sticks, is very entrepreneurial of it. Amazon as well, you know, from a bookseller that runs half of the internet at the moment. They, you know, just they just bought James Bond and MGM for, you know, $8.5 billion yesterday. The idea that a corporate is not entrepreneurial, I think can be a little a little a little off-putting. What I think is more important is that a business can have an entrepreneurial mindset or a corporate mindset, or even, you know, potentially a nonprofit social good mindset as well, where the, the goods are more impact-based than necessarily financial returns. But certainly in terms of the approach to business, and I would say that even within a nonprofit, you can get an entrepreneurial mindset versus a corporate mindset in there as well. Whereas what are we looking at? What are our benchmarks that we have to hit? What do we have to report on to our stakeholders? You know, all, all of that stuff that makes wonderful corporate, uh, boring stuff happen. But it is, you know, for, I'm going to guess many of our listeners and many of us ourselves, we do work in a corporate world where the stuff that we do isn't that exciting. You know, everything you get from the grocery store, for example, is made by people that work in less than exciting. They're not necessarily entrepreneurial businesses. You know, toothpaste may not be that particularly entrepreneurial. After last year, I never knew the value of toilet paper. <laughs> I would never have thought that was entrepreneurial. But, you, you know, that's, that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it, because the mindset of the company does sort of change how you fit in and what your own approach to productivity, personal productivity, to motivation, to how uh, your outcomes are measured uh, are, are going to change depending on what that mindset of the organization is and your role within that. Yeah, for sure. And I th um, as I said, I think it is an interesting area in its own. I mean, I remember when... The money transfer company that I, I set up with a friend was called MTI, which was short for Money Transfer International. As you can imagine, that took a long time, that title, to come up with. <laughs> and it, it's one of those, those typical sort of startup stories in that I was in Cyprus at the time, the last time I lived here, uh, in this very office, in fact. And my business partner was in the UK. And we were toing and froing on a business plan firing it to each other. And the, the business plan had a working title on the front because it was going to be a money transfer company. So we called it Money Transfer International. And we forgot to change it. <laughs> well, when it came to registering the company, he sat there and went, oh, we didn't think of a name. Oh, well, never mind. And stuck with it. And so then we ended up with a group of companies. We had MTI. We had MTI, open bracket, UK, close bracket, limited. We had MTI International, so that's Money Transfer International International. We had MTI Money Transfer, so that's Money Transfer International Money Transfer. I mean, that was just nonsense. Um, but that whole sort of building up of, of business plans and getting to, a, getting to a startup mentality was all, it was all about being entrepreneurial, about finding a new way to do things and disrupting okay, money transfer companies like Western Union and MoneyGram, the names that I'm sure people know, they were essentially disruptors. They were shaking up, um, you know, b before there were people like Facebook doing what Facebook does. These companies were going to 
well-entrenched businesses like banking and a taking parts of banking that banking didn't particularly want to do anymore and b attacking banking and saying okay we can do this better and if you look at you know immigrant populations anywhere in the world they use money transfer firms like western union moneygram there's lots of them mm-hmm. and, and we were in that space and it was really exciting but when you actually get to uh, the brass tacks of it all it goes very corporate very fast western union and moneygram are both very large american companies moneygram not so much anymore but certainly western union is huge and moneygram was pre pre crash and you are dealing then with a whole different ballgame. And there are some companies out there that, as you say, like, you know, Amazon being, being one of them, who combine that, that corporate sort of backbone with entrepreneurial sort of front-facing sections. So we're talking to people about, okay, we're going to do this, and we'll do this with the UK market, and we'll do that with the Danish market. It's going to be really exciting. And then, yeah, great. And then you're talking to the numbers guys. And they want a spreadsheet that's even bigger and they want more pivot tables and they need things couched in jargon that you have to learn new words about, you know, return on capital employed, return on capital invested. Those money guys are terrible, aren't they? Yeah. EBITDA. What? (laughs) Sorry. I was sitting in meeting after meeting, just sort of sidling next to my business program. What the hell is EBITDA? And here we go earnings before interest and tax oh, right, okay. and all of that type of stuff <laughs> <laughs> welcome to my world yeah well you know it's a great education um but we our first office was in london and it was near waterloo station for anybody who's uh, who knows london so right in the center and i lived in north london waterloo is kind of in south central london if you like and my commute which was about, I don't know, 13 miles or something down there, the underground, along the Northern Line, which is known as the Misery Line. Nice. Uh, my commute was taking longer than James's, who was coming 75 miles, but on a speedy train from the countryside. Oh, wow. Which, coincidentally, stopped at Waterloo Station. Um, but our office was essentially a broom cupboard, or a janitor's cupboard, <laughs> inside the office of a charity, a not-for-profit. Now, if you want to learn about the corporate world, that's where you've got to go. Not all not, not non-profits, but the charity sector in the UK is some of the most corporate stuff I have ever seen. I mean, these, these guys were sitting in cubicles. They had um, job descriptions that nobody understood. They had job titles that nobody understood. They spoke a language that was completely alien to everyone except the people they were speaking it to. And, and we sat there fascinated. Just, I mean, days would go by and nothing would get done, it would seem. It was, it was astonishing to us because we were, you know, two guys with, with <laughs> two laptops. That was it. We had, it was two laptops we started with. I remember the day our printer got delivered. It was very exciting. Just trying to build things up and making stuff up as we went along. And I sort of compare that to corporate environments where I, where I am now, where, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much not allowed to speak to anybody until I've had a briefing on, on what I can say and what I can't. Oh, that's bad. Well, 
I, you know, I suppose my, my, my viewpoint is okay. In, in the corporate world, because I've run sales teams as well, as, as our entrepreneurial business became larger, we became more corporate. And so we would, would say to, you know, we would build guidelines for teams and say, you know, you can, you can go this far, you can, you know, negotiate to a certain extent, you can offer this, but you can't offer that and you shouldn't do this because you want to maintain a sort of, well, A, you don't want to break any laws and B, you want to maintain some sort of control over, over what the business is doing. Very much. But it gets to a point where it's really, really difficult uh, to, for the, for the people on the other side, if you like, the people who are receiving these instructions, it, it can feel very constrictive. And I, I could say that because I feel very constricted right now when I'm being asked to go out and do, you know, could you find us 10 partners? Sure, but you can't do this and you can't say that and you can't say that. I'm like, whoa, you're taking all the good stuff here. <laughs> you're leaving me with, oh, not so much. The corporate handcuffs. Yeah. I mean, one of the, one of the first posts I wrote, I never published it, but the first post that I wrote after taking on this, this new role was I, I wrote a post and it ended up being a letter to my old business partner saying, we've really got to in, get in touch with some of the teams that, you know, we used to employ and apologize. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, what? I said, well, look, for a start, <laughs> Windows remote desktop. Uh, no, that should not be imposed or inflicted upon anyone. We need to phone the sales guys and say, we're sorry, because <laughs> just, just trying to use it from this end, I'm oh, wow. I'm hoping now that with, with a faster broadband, it'll be easier, but stuff like that. I, I, I put it to you, Justin, that any entrepreneur will look at a Windows remote desktop and go, no, there has to be another way. There's a reason that I run a Mac. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. And, and any corporate will turn around and I've, I've had this discussion because I'm in this weird position where I know the guys that own this company for whom I'm, you know, uh, right at the bottom, if you like, or right at the coal face. Um, I can have conversations that, that perhaps my colleagues can't. And, and I just say, what, what is this about? What is this? What, why are you using remote desktop? It's madness. And it all comes down to fear and it comes down to security and it's, it's my server and I can put lots of rings of iron and defense and lasers and, and then more rings and 46 passwords and actually, ah, it's all mine and I can protect it. <laughs> Did you ever read Dilbert? I'm not sure if it was a thing over there. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it used to feature in one of the, the, the UK newspapers. So I, I don't see it regularly anymore, but I used to see the odd one. There was uh, Scott Adams, the, the writer of a cartoon called Dilbert, in case you don't know what that is. Uh, he had, it was basically a spoof of office work. Uh, Dilbert was an engineer, but they used to have the IT was, the IT guy was called Mordak the Preventer. <laughs> and he was dressed in a little uh, devil's outfit. And his job would be to make your, your IT life as difficult as possible. And the irony is that all these years later, it is still the role of an IT professional in a corporate mindset business to do that. Yeah. And as I say, I've, I've been on exactly opposite sides of this conversation because I remember when we were, you know, trying to enable people from remote working, you know, for sales teams and for offices abroad, the first decision that we were faced with 
whether we were poorly advised, I don't know, but was, do you want to go to someone, I suppose in the, in the modern parlance, you'd say to Amazon and put your, your servers up there in the cloud, or do you want them just around the corner there next to the kitchenette in a big server rack behind a very, very big padlock? <laughs> Is that what we prefer? And invariably our biggest fear, even then our biggest fear was data loss mm -hmm. that, you know, everything would go down and that we would lose data that belonged to customers and, and find ourselves in all sorts of hot water. And so fear makes people stay on a, so, so it's a windows thing. Is it right? And, and how does it work? Oh, it looks just like the windows on my computer. Oh, excellent. Good. And, and can anybody get, no, you oh, we can put two passwords, three passwords, you say, fantastic. Great. And what about backup? What just 11 backups? No, no, no. Surely we can have 20, 30, 40. Can I, can I take a backup home with me every night? Oh <laughs> God, I remember those days. That's, that's the kind of thinking that, that came in. And that's the thinking of this company I'm with now. And it's like, okay, it's, it's a controlled environment. I mean, it's a controlled environment, it's a collapsing environment, but it's controlled. And then you have people like me coming along with an entrepreneurial mindset saying, okay, so your issue is you want me essentially to prospect, cold call and deliver partners. Yeah. Yep. Okay, cool. I'm going to use pipe drive. You're going to use what? Pipe drive. What is it? Well, it's a web-based CRM. Oh. And I can uh, pump in all the information at the start, and it will just track where I am with these guys and who needs calling and actions. And, you know, it's, it's, it's cool. You'll love it. You can't put, all, you can't put prospect data in there. That's the cloud. <laughs> the cloud. Yeah. Well, what's wrong with the, the cloud? Well, somebody could hack it. Okay, so somebody hacks it to find out I'm talking to Justin about signing him up. What, what, what's the issue? I'm not going to put, you know, Justin's inside leg up there or his passport number or anything. No, 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 you can't do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and again, I know we were exactly the same when I was on the other side of this guy. I was like, whoa, don't you be using systems that I haven't vetted or seen or heard of? No, no, use our system. And so I go through a Windows remote desktop to a CRM that was built by a very nice chap in India, um, who I don't know, presumably is living on a beach somewhere now, um, that has 7 billion bits of data in it, none of which are easy to get. So uh, I'll give you an example. This company has been running for, I don't know, 10, 12 years. And uh, I wanted to see, okay, who have we got on the books partner-wise uh, with a Cypriot phone number? Because here we go, this is a sales, sales tip, ladies and gentlemen. Dormant partners who know who you are and just have fallen off are much easier to activate than brand new ones. So I thought, okay, give me a list of these guys and I'll call them. Say, hi, how are you doing? You, you know, we used to work together a few years ago. Uh, I'm here in Cyprus now. Uh, we can go and have coffee. We can have meze. How about a cold beer on the beach? What do you think? Just to see if you can get stuff going, you know? Mm-hmm. And the answer from IT, I won't read it out, but the answer from IT is uh, you'll need your line manager to sign off on this. <laughs> <laughs> because you, I can't get it myself out of the database. It just, there is no means to do so. Because when they say it's a database, it's not a database. It's like... Um, it's a series of reports. It's like an Excel sheet with, with, with... No, it's like an Excel sheet with locked fields. It's just madness. 
So I, I couldn't even do a search by phone number. Anyway. <laughs> so I said to my line manager, I said, so I need to get a list of all these. He said, yeah, yeah, just ask um, IT, raise a ticket. Oh yeah, of course, because IT don't use any of the IT systems for communication, do they? No, 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 they don't use Teams or email. No, 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 you have to raise a ticket. Okay, cool. So I raise a ticket. I want a list of all the partners, lapsed or active, with a Cypriot phone number. You'll need to get your line manager to sign off. Okay. I would have copied him on the email, but I wasn't allowed to send you an email because I've got to raise a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> these are the issues that I now bump into every day. And as, as, as you and the listener can gather, I'm quite frustrated today. And when I get frustrated, I get really destructive. <laughs> I'm quite a smart guy. So I'm just going to the IT going, well, if you used email, like you force everyone else in the company to do, my manager would have been copied in, wouldn't he? <laughs> and the whole thing would have been faster, wouldn't it? Because, because do you know what they do when you send a ticket? They send you an email saying they've got your ticket. <laughs> like, oh, okay. All right. That's cool. Splendid. So at some point next week, I'll get a list of these numbers. But, you know, th that to me, that's what encapsulates the difference is that an entrepreneur, whether you be entry level in the company, right at the coalface or right at the top, is looking at the fastest way to get things done, whatever they might be, whatever goals you have, whatever the business type is. An entrepreneur is saying, right, how am I going to do that? If you need customers, how am I going to find them? Mm -hmm. If you need a new product, how am I going to design it? That's what an entrepreneur is doing. The corporate is saying, how do I ensure that nobody carrying our letterhead causes any harm or damages the company. That's the first thought of the corporate is I don't want a random person out there doing something that's going to damage, you know, the great work that's already been done in building our, our great corporation. Yeah. Now I'm exaggerating the positions, but you know what I mean? It's, it's that sort of, um, protectionism, which an entrepreneur doesn't necessarily have because there's probably not much to protect at this point. Mm-hmm. I think part of it as well with corporate, you know, and it's, again, I don't want to use size of the company. I want to use mindset yeah. as the bigger thing. But in a lot of cases, entrepreneurial organizations tend to be smaller and more reactive. Once you get to a point, and I think you mentioned it yourself, when you get to a certain size, you now need to start thinking of scalability and replication and training and all of these for, you know, if you're in a, if you're in an, on, an entrepreneur in a smaller company, you can sit down and hand train your, your key employees to make sure that the message doesn't become a, a version of Chinese whispers where everybody thinks they heard something different. Once you get to a large enough organization, you have to, I think, put some controls in to make sure that the people are trained to the level of, again, from a risk perspective, but these are people that you're so far removed from, from here's what the foundation is. The Chinese whispers will get that to people that you've never met that are hired locally, that may be, you know, the, the boss's brother-in-law or, you know, whatever that is, there's going to be some way that somebody is less qualified, less motivated because of the, the narrative around the company. And you need to constrain them and 
at the same time, bring them to a standardized level of performance. You know, is every business development team working within the same, the same guidelines? Are the people trained properly? Now you have lots of years of experience in there, but imagine a new remote hire that becomes a lot harder to do. How do you do that? Well, you put controls on. So I kind of understand how they get there and I see some of the advantages and also the disadvantages of, of doing that. It makes a huge change to personal motivation though, mm -hmm. and how somebody fits into, to the outcomes and to their work processes within, within an organization. For sure. I mean, I think the, the, the points you raise are exactly right. Now, um, I'm not going to talk specifically uh, again about where I'm working because that would not be fair, but what happens is motivation wise, I think is that someone who has the entrepreneurial mindset is prone, I believe, and I don't want to, you know, sort of categorize everybody this way, but the entrepreneurial mindset tends to rely on momentum and enthusiasm and i certainly in myself when i'm in entrepreneurial mode i have the attention span of a small squirrel um if if i can go then i will go and i'll keep going and i'll keep kicking and i'll keep banging and i will i will kick doors down and where that momentum gets halted albeit for good reason my motivation can dip very fast. Frustration can set in. Um, there's uh, that sort of the the inner six year old mm -hmm. throws a temper tantrum. Yeah, you know, stamps your feet and goes, "How am I supposed to be able to make this work? Like, this is just impossible." <sighs> right, that's it. I'm going, and I'll move on to to some other project. And that the marrying of those two things, because the corporate wants the entrepreneur. The corporate wants the people out there who are going to kick down doors for them, but they just want to keep them on a leash. <laughs> and it's a case of having a leash that's kind of long enough to let them have their head. I think that's a mixed metaphor if ever I've heard one and short enough to, uh, to keep them in, in control. And finding that balance is not easy No, because if you're, you know, particularly remote hires or field sales, anybody like that, it can be really, really tough to keep them motivated mm -hmm. because you don't have, you know, the water cooler, you don't have the ability to, um, yeah, I guess put your arm around them and say, okay, what, what's going on? What, what are you getting upset about, demotivated about what, what problems, where, where do you think your outcomes, um, are, are going to cause you problems. And that's really tough to achieve. Finding that balance is probably the new challenge. If you see, I mean, that's the new world that we're living in is, as you say, remotes. How do you get remotes on the right page, but allow them to preserve that sort of entrepreneurial edge as well? Yeah, it's a, it's a very tough one. And I think, I don't think there's an easy answer to that. Uh, you know, we're still at, at least Cyprus and here just starting to come out of what was a year of working from home for many people that could, especially in sort of our knowledge based, uh, type industries, it, it, it's going to be a different world that we come back to where you don't have those, those social interactions, the people part of a business, I think are, are 
are going to be challenged working remote. How do you onboard remotely and feel to be part of that corporation when you don't have access to uh, people in a productive and dynamic way where you can come up with uh, ideas that work and that are spontaneous and, uh, you know, perhaps some of that entrepreneurial stuff where, Hey, I like what you said here. Let's take that. Let's work on it together. And all of a sudden you've come up with something new. Part of the reason in the past that the idea that to have open workstations and get away from private offices and the uh, private cubicles, you know, is to encourage that. I think all that's done is created a world of people that live with headsets, but that's a whole different uh, argument in itself. Mm. Uh, the idea, though, that you need to have some way for organizations to interact and grow and allow that entrepreneurial part and yet also have the control that's needed to ensure your scalability and your corporate risk. You know, corporate risk is a huge thing. Um, I'm, I'm not sure if you've been following the uh, UK, I think it's UK, Europe lawsuits and discussions over uh, the uh, oil business at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, they're just getting all hammered because of risk. They're not wanting to change things for risk. And they've got a couple of activist investors that have come on and are looking at ways to get the oil business out of oil. So it's, it's a very interesting way that we have to think between the two of those. I guess the big question though for me is how do you deal with your motivation in either one of those? Because it is easy to get frustrated if you're an entrepreneur in a corporate environment or stagnated very easily in a, in a corporate environment or the other way around entrepreneurial. How do you keep up with where, you know, again, assuming you're not the senior manager in an entrepreneurial organization, how do you work and keep motivated and keep productive if things are constantly changing under your feet at any time? That could be a challenge as well. For sure. And I think, you know, the, in many ways, your frustration teaches you here, I think. So as I get frustrated, what I, what I tend to do is sort of just try and back off the problem and go, okay, so where am I here? And you know, t taking, for example, this phone thing that sort of, you know, has been bucking my day, um, rather than just as an entrepreneur, uh, particularly in a senior position, I could, I could point a finger at somebody and say, fix that. Mm -hmm. Come back to me when it's fixed up until that point, don't speak to me, just fix it in a corporate environment. Maybe something's going wrong. Maybe there's an issue that somebody is already working really hard on. There are channels. Those channels probably aren't advertised as well as they could be. But, you know, what I need to do is just raise my hand and say, look, I don't know if this is supposed to be happening. Because, you know, for me, having been a, a remote hire, I can answer the phone. I'm a smart guy. I've no idea what to ask the person the other end. So somebody says to me, okay, I need to do a trade. All right, cool. I can't do the trade. I'm not, <laughs> uh, I'm not able to, I don't have the equipment or the legal right. You certainly don't have the database access, do you? <laughs> no, it's a different database, but anyway, yes, all of those, those issues. Um, now I am aware that nobody can trade unless they've got an account. So I could probably work out and say, okay, well, do you have an account, sir? And if the question, if the answer to that is yes, then I need to direct this person to a trader. If the answer is no, then I need to direct this person to an onboarder. 
Okay, so I can kind of work that out, but I've had no training on this. There is no sheet. Uh, I would be winging it, which is not, in my opinion, the, the best way to have your company represented on the telephone to, to a customer. So I'm, I'm probably, you know, out on a little line in the Mediterranean, not the best person to be taking that call. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I'd be pretty low on the list. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, you know, I, I might just be above the janitor, but that's about it. <laughs> and what I need to try and do is to sort of raise my hand in the right channels and go, look, is this, is this what's supposed to be happening? And then when the response comes from, from the right person, say, okay, so you want me to be taking those calls. Now, I know that's not the right way to run a business. However, my role isn't to run this business. My role is to say, okay, right, cool. And then perhaps raise another hand and say, look, could somebody then send me a cheat sheet? of questions to ask so that I don't send the person to the wrong place. Um, I mean, the other thing I would send in is would somebody send me a manual because I've got no idea how to transfer a call from my mobile to someone else. I've got no idea. Um, so, you know, all, all of those types of things. And it's, it's learning, I think, the patience to say, all right, you know, I might not see the whole picture here because one thing I would say about a corporate uh, mindset is there tends to be a sort of silo mentality where different, you know, different departments do different things, different skill sets. And, you know, there's, there's all sorts of good reasons and efficiencies for that. But what it does mean is that it, it's not necessarily true that I see the whole picture. I'm just seeing one angle. And that, that requires self-discipline and it requires uh, things that I'm, well, not great at. <laughs> <laughs> do you find you have to adjust your personal expectations to feel productive in that type of environment. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's, that's a very good way of putting it because there are different levels of attainment. And I think an entrepreneur by definition, no, not by definition, an entrepreneur tends to self-flagellate. Probably by nature, I think, rather than by definition. Yeah. I mean, by if setting up the money transfer business, if James and I had a really good day, we would generally be quite disappointed that we hadn't had a better day. Mm-hmm. Whereas within the corporate environment, that there, there is, I think, you know, there's, there's plenty of research to show that this is good and uh, everybody corporate has read all the research. So, oh, we've had a win. Let's celebrate. And that's what, you know, uh, teams channels and stuff can be really good at. Lots of people can come and give you a little pat on the back and a thumbs up and go, yeah, great. Well done you. Emoji central. Yes. A lot of emojis flying about the place. Um, but you know, in an entrepreneurial environment, you, you go and sign two deals. You think, yeah, but I wanted three, mm-hmm. you know, if I could get three, that's 50% more per day. I'll be a multi-billionaire by a week next Thursday. Whereas, uh, in corporate, you think, okay, yep. I've got some momentum. Yeah. Everybody's really pleased. Come on, let's go out and get another. And it, it's, you know, both uh, approaches are perfectly valid, I think. And you have to, as you say, adjust your own expectations. Very good point. You've done this before. <laughs> I've come from the corporate world. So, uh, certainly, you know, I, I work in, I've worked in both entrepreneurial businesses and in corporate businesses. And that's why I thought this, uh, you know, given your background and mine would be an interesting discussion to kind of look at, at these differences and try to figure out how do you approach them? 
entrepreneurial is very much reactive in a lot of ways. You know, you're, you're quick moving in a lot of ways, uh, large or small business, you can certainly get there. But I think certainly you've got to play within that corporate. One of the things that I remember from corporate, you know, talking about results, you make three deals. Well, if you make three deals a day next year, corporate's going to come back and demand four deals a day. Not because of any other reason than we have to do that. We have to increase our budget because it's the thing that corporate does. Um, and that, uh, you know, that tends to lead to people downplaying perhaps sometimes their successes in a particular way. You know, an entrepreneurial person is probably a lot more tied into the reward structure. A corporate person, you know, what do they call it? Discretionary bonuses. Mm. Talk about ways to demotivate people as quickly as possible. Indeed. Is there a way that you would suggest to approach personal productivity, though, in either one of these that would would get you ahead in terms of what your long-term goals are, either entrepreneurial, increasing the business, or in corporate, you know, we're assuming that most people are going to move up the corporate ladder at some point. What, what are the ways to really um, move the needle for you in each type of organization? Uh, I think after all of the sort of um, time that we spent on the differences, uh, I think it's the same. I think it's about protecting your time. So in an entrepreneurial environment, um, you have probably a wider scope of things that are within your remit, or you have a wider scope to sort of jump from one thing to another. Uh, in a corporate environment, you're a little more constrained. However, corporate environments, in my experience, tend to be distraction machines where given the opportunity, the corporate entity will unwittingly disturb you every 10 minutes or five minutes or two minutes or 72 times in a day with different phone calls. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm prepared to concede that out of the corner of my eye, I can see that my Microsoft teams, uh, thing is going bananas in the corner, presumably with everybody talking about what is or isn't happening with the telephones. Uh, what I can guarantee is nobody's fixing it. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it's, um, it's, uh, it's that distraction and that ability for other people to start setting your, your day agenda. So in a, in a corporate environment, you would tend to have a periodic sit down with your, you know, immediate superior, uh, your supervisor, whatever that might be, whether it be a weekly thing or a monthly thing or whatever. And you will agree, um, what it is that that person wants you to do. And we you know it. With luck, this will tie in with your role and the purpose of your job and all those things. And it'll be, okay, so go move that mountain from there to there. That's your task. And then that same person and all of his or her colleagues will spend the rest of the month trying to distract you from doing that. <laughs> that is so well said. <laughs> well, the, the successful people are the ones that can diplomatically manage those distractions and confine those distractions to you know, the afternoon, for example, but preserve the mornings because in the mornings they're moving mountains. Mm -hmm. And that's equally true as an entrepreneur. So as an entrepreneur, um, you know, I think of Nero's notes, for example, I, I have 50, 60 things at any one time that need doing at some point and they're on my mind and out of my mind and into my system and all of that stuff. But there are probably three things that 
I want to do because I know they will drive the business forward. And preserving the time to do those things while still acknowledging that I need some time to do some of those other things, striking that balance, preserving and protecting that time, that's what will move the business forward, which is what an entrepreneurial business is always trying to do. Well, any business is trying to do, I suppose. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same way. You've got to protect your time. But I also think, yeah, particularly in a, nor- in a corporate world, and I think we're going to probably touch on this looking at the time in a different topic, but I think information is still power in an organization. Making connections, because organizations are still made up of people. And I think that one of the, especially going remote, it is very easy to get caught up in your own productivity and pass up those opportunities to connect the corporate grapevine in not a bad way. You know, there's always a gossip grapevine, but there's always a what's happening, uh, who is connected to who, who has this person's ears. Uh, you know, if you want to get something done, you want to get a change done to your team's problem that you've got with the phones knowing who to get a hold of or who to be a broker to get a hold of the person that is the decision maker that made this decision is a huge win in any larger organization. And I think that it's also important to look at getting ahead of scheduling time to do that as well, you know, to, to get that information, to make those connectors because those things will come back and and be of value as your career progresses and it will also protect you from obsolescence as well yeah no, i think you're right i mean the 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 takeaway that i had for for today's episode when i was thinking about this earlier was um again harking back to conversations we've had that people are hard um ask base camp <laughs> very much the the guys who set up Basecamp are, I, I believe, very well-intentioned and very smart people um, who set out to remove a lot of the, the bad stuff of corporate, of which there is some. There's some bad stuff of entrepreneur too. And they tried to remove the bad stuff from both. So they tried to get rid of this idea that to be a true sort of entrepreneurial tech startup, you had to be doing 80-hour weeks and stuff. They tried to get rid of that. They tried to get rid of sort of corporate hierarchies and structures. And they tried really hard to do that. And they built a company that, that has been very successful. And then something slipped, something went slightly wrong. People were people, people reacted, people reacted to people reacting. And the whole thing blew up uh, in a way that I think is pretty well documented now. And, you know, people are hard. You, you, you take your eye off people for, for five minutes and, and before you know it, they've gone off and got offended and demotivated and upset and possibly with very good reason because it's very, very difficult, particularly as you get larger, to keep everybody on the same page and to keep meeting everybody's needs. And the two things that I, I think are most important for that are, are patience uh, and empathy. And I've written in the show note, both of which I've heard speak of. Um, they're not definitely my strengths. And I'm very lucky in that I, I have an instinct to 
uh, surround myself with people who have a lot of patience and empathy <laughs> and can and therefore cover up my shortcomings in that particular area but um i think that's the takeaway that i would have in whichever mindset you are in you have to try and have empathy with the mindset that the organization you're in is in because trying to be an entrepreneur in a corporate environment is you know you are investing a lot of energy to go against the grain you'll probably do better in a corporate environment being corporate and you'll probably do better in an entrepreneurial environment being an entrepreneur mm -hmm. and if you have a strong preference to be one or the other then you should probably reflect that in your choice of employment yeah i think your motivation your frustration level and everything will your motivation will go up if you're in the place where it fits with your own mentality, your own preferences, your your own skill set, your you know whatever makes you work, and your frustration level will will go down a lot when you're working in that type of environment, uh, as evidenced by the phone calls today, Stu. I can hear a little bit of frustration because it's not quite the way that you would do things. For sure, yeah. And uh, if you're a problem solver, it's it's horrible to to look at a problem that's nobody solving. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's tough. My takeaway was actually, uh, really, I kind of already touched on it with that organizations are made up of groups of people. So I really recommend scheduling some time to develop both your internal and external network, particularly as you get into corporate type jobs, because these things are so easily forgotten when we're busy being productive. And, you know, the last year hasn't helped in a lot of cases. You can't meet people for a coffee or, you know, a, a, a beer after work or anything like that. Uh, so your, your networks probably, if you're, if you're like mine, have changed and perhaps not necessarily for the better. So I, I would say that to, to be productive, to understand the corporate or entrepreneurial envir environment, make sure that you're still developing your network, your people skills, and making those connections to the connectors so that uh, the next time somebody sends 72 phone calls your way, you know who to talk to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, very wise advice from a man who I think knows his way around a boardroom or two. <laughs> All right, Stu, where can people find us on the internet? Uh, well, you can find me at uh, stuartlennon.com, where I'm mostly talking about writing, but occasionally about walking, uh, or at nerosnotes.co.uk. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? Well, you can find both of us, links to both of us at stationaryadjacent.com. I'm at justintwyford.com, where I kind of write about things that are on my mind and write experience, which is all about my stationery. If you like the podcast, please like and review us on your podcast catcher of choice. And of course, we really do appreciate any of your recommendation to your friends and colleagues. Our next topic is going to be on indexing, which is much more of an analog type topic because we're going to talk about how we index our notebooks and our thoughts. And it's going to be a little bit of an introduction into PKM, which is kind of one of those new buzzwordy types of things. We'll talk about that next time. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, sir.